everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Tacone Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOTC. And whether you're in person or on the live stream, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. And we wish you just a glorious Lord's Day as we exalt and celebrate the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We are glad you are here. We hope that as you came in, you were greeted, you were given a wonderful bag of goodies that you get to enjoy, as well as giving you some information about us. Now, if you're at the end of an aisle, I would like to ask a favor of you. There are friendship pads that are down at the end of the aisle. Uh, if you would, and this is for everybody, we'd like to know who's here, not to take attendance, so to speak, but to develop relationships. And so if you would sign that down, send that down to your friend, that lets us know who is here so that we can have the best opportunity to minister to you. Friday night, we had a wonderful opportunity to hear a presentation called Here's Life Africa. Whether you were here or are just interested, maybe you couldn't make it, there are newsletters that are out on, I'm not sure which table, but one of the tables that gives information about Here's Life Africa, allows you to get to know them a little bit. So help yourself to those. Next week will be the Lord's Supper, and so we remind you to prepare your hearts for that. We want to keep in prayer the Grief Share Ministry that begins this afternoon under Norma Graham's uh, leadership and facilitating. That'll be at 2 o'clock this afternoon. If you have questions, see Norma with that. And then during the month of October, we have a couple of special things. We have a couple of missionaries coming to uh, be with us at LOPC. The first one is on October 16th, and it will be John Gordy, who is the campus minister with RUF at Valdosta State. And so I will, and I'm going to tell you them one at a time, so that's just 16th and 23rd, but right now I'm telling you about the one on the 16th so that we try to remember these things. We will have a joint Sunday school class at 9.15 here in the sanctuary, and then we will hear a little bit from John at the beginning of the worship service. Many other announcements of different things going on. What I want to do now is we have a very special time, and I want to invite the following people, if they are here, to join me up front. We are going to receive and recognize some new members. And so if Lee and Rhonda Manis are here, Trent Blankenship, Patty Jackson and Rich and I know where Rich and Jan are. They should be in the choir. So they don't have a far walk to join with me over here. These are our newest members. I think we received them. The session did back in May. And then you know what happens after that? Summer hits. You might be going, we received them in May, and then look at this. It's the beginning of October, and you end up with schedules and everything else. I can say, and I think I can say on behalf of the session, that this is, if not the biggest joy, one of the biggest joys that we have uh, in our role here as a session, and that is to bring in new members to the Church of Jesus Christ. And so we are grateful that these folks have chosen and decided to unite with us, to be a part of our community, to use their gifts for the furthering of God's kingdom here in Lake Oconee and at LOPC, it is truly a joy. Now, they've already been received by the session, so they are already members. This is a communication to you all and a recognition 
before you of our new members. And so they've answered these questions. There's no failing this test. They've passed it already. So you're not going to have, see, this is kind of like the gospel. Jesus takes the test. Jesus passes it. Relish in that. So hopefully you'll say the right things, but if you don't, you're in. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. I don't know about you. I love the gospel. Give me all the grace we can get. And so, but I do want for you all to hear their confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. And so the first question is, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Let's pray together. In Acts chapter 2, we are told by Luke that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to the fellowship. They met every day in the temple courts and in homes with glad and sincere hearts. They were doing life together. And then we're told that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't growth for the sake of growth. You were adding to your church those that you were saving. And so we thank you for the salvation and the confession of faith of these folks. We thank you that they have chosen to unite with us. We pray for a long and fruitful partnership in gospel ministry together that they will feel loved and encouraged and in turn be able to love and encourage the body as well. Lord, we praise you for bringing each member here to us. We thank you for your sovereign will, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now stay there. We have parting gifts. We have membership certificates for each of you. See, the thing is, this is good. This is like a test for me. I get to know who you are. What do you say we acknowledge their membership? <laughs> That's right. Jan and Rich. <laughs> They're doing life already. I love it. <laughs> As the prelude is now played, let's prepare our hearts for coming into the very presence of God in worship.
call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 113, verses 1 to 3. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Lord, we praise you that you have gathered us together this morning to exalt you, to praise your holy and loving name. We ask now that you would join with us. Your presence would be felt. We'd be confronted with who you are. We'd be filled with your love. And we'd be sent out to extend grace and mercy to a dying community and world. Lord God, walk and dwell amongst us. We invoke your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, please stand as we sing our opening hymn of praise, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
I have to share, I absolutely love the rich, powerful hymns of the faith. I mean, crown him with many crowns, for he rules and reigns as glorified, ascended king. And as we're confronted with the glory of God, the power of God, it leads us to be confronted with our own sinfulness. Now, if you pay attention to the words of these hymns, there was confession included in that hymn. Awake, my soul, and sing. You know why that's confession? Because so often we hear with our heads. It's information. Our hearts are like Teflon that the Word of God just kind of skates over. We need to love the Lord our God with our entire being all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. So part of that hymn is a prayer, Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. We go to confession with the assurance that our acceptance, our forgiveness is found in Christ. The psalmist cries out with that kind of assurance out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I wonder how often we plead for mercy. I know I'm good at going through my prayer list. Part of my confession has to be, Lord, forgive me that I'm more mindful of all the things I want and ask, even the loving things, than I am that I stand in need of your mercy every single second of every single day. And then, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Take a few moments to come before the Lord, come clean, be honest, brutally honest with him. Confess your heart, your sins. Confess to him, I need my soul awakened. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And in a few moments, I will lead us into our corporate confession of sin together. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together. God of love, in the wrong we have done and in the good we have not done, we have sinned in ignorance. We have sinned in weakness. We have sinned through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry. We repent and turn to you. Forgive us and renew our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, friends, hear and receive the assurance of pardon. The psalmist has just said, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But the assurance of pardon is, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared.
Friends, the psalmist and we have cried out for mercy. We plead to God for mercy. We have received mercy. Let's stand and sing of God's mercy. continue to not only worship the Lord, but receive his invitation to come before the throne of grace and commune with him in prayer. We will pray together the Lord's Prayer, and I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you are the Lord. I think of reading through the book of Ezekiel recently at how many times Ezekiel tells us, speaking the word of the Lord, that they shall know that you are the Lord. That they shall know that you are the Lord, their God. And friends, we need to know that this morning. We need to know that you are the Lord, our God, that as we suffer, as we go through good times, as we go through bad times, 
You weep with us in our suffering. You rejoice with, it, with us in our good times. Father, we pray for those who are suffering. We ask that you would be with Ellen Anderson and Jean Hesse. We ask that you would be with Janelle Edwards and that you would be with all who are hurting. We ask for anyone who's hurting in any way, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever sphere it is, we thank you, Jesus, for your presence with us. You count our tossings. You keep our tears in a bottle. May we know your intimate presence and your comforting love. We pray, Father, that we would be a community and a people who rejoice with those who rejoice, who weep with those who weep. We thank you for the ministry of Grief Share coming alongside in the ministry of presence and perspective to those who have suffered loss. And we pray for Norma and those who will be gathered with her, that Holy Spirit, you would go before her, that she would know your spirit is with her, equipping her, and that the people of God gathered there would know of your comforting love. And Father, as we begin to launch out in some new endeavors, we know that we need your spirit. May we be a spirit-led church. This is, we can't do this in our own strength. We're not capable, we're not adequate. But we recognize that though we are not good enough, Jesus is good enough, and we are in Jesus. So, Lord, help us to abide in Jesus, be led by the Spirit, and follow the Spirit. Help us to be good listeners to the Holy Spirit. Help us as we come before your Word in just a few moments to be good listeners to your Spirit as he speaks to us individually and as a body. Father, we come before you, worshiping you, thanking you that you know our condition, you know who we are. You know how fragile, how weak we are. You know that we are dust. And you come to us. You don't give up on us. Thank you for your grace. Help us to understand a little bit more today your grace and your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
concluding our study this morning of the book of Jonah, and we started Jonah chapter 4 last week, which gave us Jonah's response to God's grace and mercy to the city of Nineveh, which was a surprising response. I'm going to bring salvation to thousands of people, and Jonah gets mad. And then, of course, how does God respond? We look at his response to Jonah, one of compassion. We saw Jonah's heart condition. We saw his anger and despair over God's relenting of judging Nineveh. What Jonah really wanted is for God to get those people who were not like him. We learn a lot about God's response to Jonah, questioning him, challenging him over his right to be angry. We see God's response to Jonah, asking him questions, not only exposing Jonah's self-centered, self-absorbed heart, but hopefully also getting him to think about the heart of God. This week we continue the story. What do we learn about the nature, and more importantly, about the heart of God? Let's look at our text together, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Friends, if you have Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with them with me, and I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Jonah 4, 1 to 11 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from anger. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Friends, let's pray together. Father, what a powerful word you give us about the heart of God. And we pray now that you would illumine our hearts, that Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher that you would teach us how this applies to us both as individuals and as a church, about our attitude, our comportment, our disposition, and our action. I pray, Father, 
for this time for all of us, preacher and congregation alike, to come under the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been going throughout the book of Jonah, we've kind of been asking ourselves the question, how are we like Jonah? We're all like Jonah. We're all Jonah. But today, quoting a commentator on this book, we're going to shift the focus a little bit. Yes, we learn about Jonah. But the focus is, what is God really like? What is the nature of God? What is the heart of God? Because this is a much more important question than the question, what was Jonah really like? See, we need to understand we all have distorted views of God in some way. We all need to constantly have our distorted views brought under the light of the scripture and shaped by gospel realities. See, I've learned something living here in 16 months in Georgia. I don't know the identity of, those bu of these bugs, but there are some sort of bugs that love to attach themselves to my windshield so that my vision is impeded and my view of the road is distorted. Anybody know anything about these bugs? And of course, I'm going nuts with windshield wiper fluid to the point that this week my car gave me a message. It said low windshield wiper fluid. So of course, I've got to go in. One of my tasks I have to do is get more windshield wiper fluid. But see, the point is, my, when those bugs are all over the road, and I found out too, by the way, that when you just use the windshield wiper, you know what I'm doing with those bugs? They're kind of making a goopy mess all over. It's really not really effective. Here I'm trying to improve my vision, and it's only getting worse. But friends, I challenge you this morning. You do, because we're still in the flesh, flesh and spirit. You do have distorted views of God somewhere. And you need to ask yourself as we come under this text, where do I misunderstand God? Where are my views of God shaped more by the culture or my upbringing or my heritage or my past? Things that we can maybe be very thankful for, but they don't always give us an accurate picture of God. And part of our responsibility is to identify where our views of God are distorted and bring them wholly into the light of Scripture, whether we like it or not. As Tim Keller likes to say, if Scripture is not contradicting us, we are not in a real relationship with God because all real relationships will involve challenge and confrontation and contradiction. Not contradictions within the Scripture, but the Scripture contradicting your heart and your life. So now as we ask that question of the text, the answers that we discover are the same as was given to Lucy. Remember who Lucy was in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Ah, I didn't go Tolkien and Lord of the Rings today. I went Chronicles of Narnia and C.S. Lewis. See that? I'm going to always keep you on your toes a little bit with my literary references. Lucy has just come into Narnia, and she has just been met by Lewis's Christ figure, Aslan. And so she asks, who is this? Who is this? And of course, she's given the answer. And she's asking the question, is he safe? Is he safe? And she's told, no, he is not safe, but yes, he is good. 
friends, the God of the Bible, the Lord that we're confronted with, is not tame, but he is good. Jonah had to be confronted with that, and we have to be confronted with that. God is not tame, but he is good. Look with me at verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade. I'm picturing Jonah with one of those Arnold Palmer drinks. <laughs> Lemonade and tea. Looking out over Nineveh and saying, maybe God will change his mind again and go get them. But think about this. What should Jonah be doing? He leaves Nineveh. He goes east of the city. He sits down. Does this strike anyone as remarkable? I mean, what should he be involved with? Remember what we learned last week? Revival has just hit the city of Nineveh. Spiritual awakening, that which our hearts long for, that which our hearts yearn for. People are being converted. People are repenting of their sin and coming to Christ. What typically happens after evangelism? People come to Christ, and then they need to be followed up, right? They need to be discipled. They need to be established in their faith. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul did? Read through the book of Acts. And when he's on his missionary journeys, he's teaching the word of God, planting churches. People are coming to Christ. He's establishing elders in the churches. He's strengthening the churches. He's caring for the well-being of those he's ministering to, but not our good friend Jonah. He leaves the city altogether. He doesn't even stay in Nineveh. He's sulking, pouting, feeling sorry for himself, waiting to see what happens to the city. And then he builds himself a shelter, a booth, which is, again, very ironic because the word for booth is often translated tabernacle, which symbolizes God's intimate presence, God's covenant commitment to his people, where he watches and waits to see what happens to the city. Now let's apply this again. I want you to think about something. What do we do when we don't get our way? What do we do when our preferences, our agenda, what is right in our own eyes doesn't come to fruition? Typically, the response is either fight or flight. Now last week, we saw Jonah fighting, getting angry at God. This week, He's involved in flight. I love the fact that he's a fully orbed sinner. He does it all. He did fight last week. This week, he does flight. And think about it. Don't we often withdraw ourselves when we don't get our way? When God or others do not cooperate with our agendas? Then look with me at verse 6 as the story continues. It says, now the Lord God appointed a plant. Now notice how many times, by the way, the text says, appointed. This is by the direct hand and sovereign will of God. Nothing here is by coincidence. Nothing here is by accident. God is not tame. He's directing the show. He is orchestrating the events here. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, Jonah was not just happy. He was not just glad. He was exceedingly glad. Jonah was over the moon excited because of the plant. 
Commentators point out, here's another pun showing the literary genius of this short book. See, from what does the vine save Jonah? From his discomfort, which echoes back to verse 1 in Jonah's displeasure and discomfort. In other words, just as Jonah, just as God appointed earlier in the book a great fish, now he appoints a plant. And Jonah is thrilled. See, none of this is by accident. God has Jonah right where he wants him. I mean, it's like, come here, Jonah. Come here, Jonah. Come here, Jonah. You're trying to run from me. You can run, but you can't hide. And so look at verses 7 and 8. God has Jonah right where he wants him. And it says, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Notice Jonah doesn't consider going to Nineveh and maybe following up on some of the people who came to the Lord. That's not an option for Jonah. I'm not getting my way. It's better for me to die. And see, again, we see God did not provide. He appointed. Notice his absolute sovereignty. Appointed a worm to attack the plant. So it withers and dies, removing the shade from Jonah. God is literally turning up the heat because then he appoints a scorching east wind, an east wind that is called a shirako. One commentator says, the hot east wind coming down from the mountains of Iran was especially well known in the land of Israel. This wind can often be extremely oppressive, reaching speeds of 60 miles an hour. You think God's a tame God? He's not messing around here. He has a point to make, which we'll get to in just a minute. This is the same wind, by the way, that in Exodus 14, verse 21, we read that God sent over the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to pass through in their deliverance from Egypt. God is serious when it comes to salvation. He will use everything under his disposal, which, by the way, is everything because he owns it all. He is the owner of heaven and earth. Every, we see him using a booth, using a tree, using a plant, using a worm, using a wind. He is, he's made it all. It all belongs to him. It is all at his disposal when it comes to reaching others with the gospel. So now the sun is beating down on Jonah as God sends this shirako, this east wind. And again... Jonah wants to die, but God is not tame. He has Jonah, again, right where he wants him. And again, like in verse 4, God asks Jonah a question, which I love. I mentioned this last week. I love the fact, you know, if God wanted to, he could just simply say, Jonah, you're nuts. You're wrong. Let me get in your face and tell God is so gracious even in his confronting us. Because verse 9 says, but God says to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He's trying to expose Jonah's heart where maybe Jonah will come and say, you know what? I'm a mess. I've been wrong. Maybe I'll repent. 
Maybe I'll align my heart with your heart. Maybe I will align my will with your will. But oh no. Jonah says, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do well to be angry. I ought to be angry. I defend my anger. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Lord, I'm not only angry, I'm angry enough to die. So what is God doing? He is sovereignly disrupting Jonah in order to bring him into the object lesson he is about to give. And that object lesson to Jonah is an object lesson to us. God is not only is he not tame, he is good. He's about to explain to Jonah exactly what his goodness looks like. Look with me at verses 10 to 11. He has Jonah exactly where he wants him, and he has us exactly where he wants us. The Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant, for which, guess what? You did absolutely nothing for you. You didn't labor, nor did you make it grow. This plant's not here by your responsibility, by your innovation, by your, your ingenuity. No, you didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night. It perished in a night. And should I not pity, have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now Jonah has just told God he could die over this plant, and God brings him into his object lesson. Jonah, how did this plant get here? It was a gift. Did you work for it? No. Did you nurture it? No. Are you responsible for it? No. Did you tend for years the land in order to enjoy it? Again, no. That's right, Jonah. I did it. The Lord did it. It was a gift from God. It was totally of grace. God says to Jonah and to us, for this is the point of not only the object lesson, this is the climax of the entire book of Jonah. Let's look at the plant object lesson and compare it to the city of Nineveh. In other words, let's look at the plant and compare it to Lake Oconee. You care about the plant. You love the plant. You nurture, you know, you're all about the plant. You didn't even do anything to get it, but you're so concerned about its welfare. But I created the city of Nineveh. I created Putnam County, Greene County, Morgan County. I created Lake Oconee. In Nineveh, there's 120,000 people living in it. Here in these counties, there's 50,000, 60,000 people living in it. Shouldn't I care about the welfare of this great city? A city of 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And I'm going to get to that phrase in just a minute. But look at what God is doing with Jonah and with us. He is contrasting his great and boundless love, his overwhelming compassion. He is comparing his heart with Jonah's heart. And he's asking us to compare his heart with our heart. He's challenging us with the question, where is your heart? Does it align with the heart of God? Because he's saying to Jonah and to us, he's contrasting his great and boundless love and compassion for this city with Jonah's and our petty concern for a plant. I'm going to take a risk here, 
There's a quote I came upon by the sociologist Tony Campolo. And he said, Tony Campolo, and I'm not advocating him or anything, but this is what he said. Tony Campolo said, I have three things I'd like to say today. First, while you were sleeping last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or diseases related to malnutrition. Second, most of you don't give a, and I won't fill in the blank there, and I'm not advocating bad language, but he's making a pretty important point, isn't he? And then he says, third, here's what's worse. You're more upset with the fact that I said blank than the fact that 30,000 kids died last night. Now, again, I'm not advocating bad language, but I am saying take a look at this. Because what he's doing is he's using hyperbole to point out what I want to point out. Shouldn't we be more concerned about the spiritual welfare of others than we are about more mundane and comparatively smaller and less important things? To Jonah, God is saying, you care about this plant? And 120,000 people out there I'm bringing to myself, I care about, I love, I yearn for, my heart is bound up with, I have a heart for. God says, how can you love a plant and not give two hoots about people? And he's asking us to examine our hearts. He's not tame, but he's good. He says there are 120,000 people who live in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left. Now, what does that phrase mean? Brian Estelle is a commentator on the book of Jonah, and he points out in Hebrew, this is an expression or idiom that is used only sparingly in the Old Testament and means to distinguish or discriminate between things. It was used, for example, in 2 Samuel 19, where we read Barzillai, the Gileadite, who also came down from Rogalim to cross the Jordan with the king and send him on his way from there. Barzillai was a very old man, 80 years of age, and he had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem, and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, how many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is good and what is not? There's the meaning. God is saying to Jonah, look at Nineveh. And he's saying to us, look at Lake Oconee. They are spiritually helpless. They are broken. They are unable to discriminate, unable to understand, unable to spiritually discern between what is good and what is bad spiritually. They are trapped in their sinful lifestyles, in bondage to sin, and there is no escape. They are helpless and powerless. Friends, this is reminiscent of Jesus' attitude recorded for us in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God says, should I not be concerned for them? Should I not pity them? Should I not have compassion on them? And shouldn't you? Again, this same commentator points out that the verb that is used here indicates not only God's rights as sovereign king, 
to do what he wants with the Ninevites, but also how he carries out or executes his rights. In other words, he says, the verb here means suffering in action. Action executed with tears in his eyes. And of course, we don't truly see this completely manifested until we stand back and look at it from the New Testament perspective and the perspective we have looking back at the cross. On the cross, we truly see suffering in action. Suffering executed with tears. Action executed with tears. See, where is God's compassion most clearly seen, most clearly displayed, most clearly revealed? Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And see, we need to know and we need to ask ourselves, of course, this is the meaning, this is the message of the text, but what are we going to do with it? Which brings us to the end of the book of Jonah. Does anybody find it strange that this is how the book of Jonah ends? With God asking this question of Jonah, should I not pity the great city of Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people who do not know, they're not able to spiritually discern, they're spiritually broken, they're spiritually helpless, here's my heart, here's my reaction and my response to it, shouldn't I care for it? Oh, and by the way, and the cattle too? And the animals? Talk about the boundless compassion of God. And then sign off, exit stage left, end of the book. See, think about it. This text does not intend for us to focus on Jonah. It intends for us to get caught up in the heart of God. It's easy to pick on Jonah, and it'd be easy to pick on us. But that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is to fall in love with God. Do you realize God looks at Lake Oconee and his heart goes out to it? He says there are people in gated communities. There are people in non-gated communities. There are people who have a lot. There are people who don't have a lot. There are people who are lost. There are people who are found. There are people who are lonely. There are people who are friendless. And I care about them. And do you want to know how I care about them? They have a church to carry my care and display my care to them. The text is there to get us to ask the question. We care about all sorts of things. We care about Georgia football or Oklahoma football. We care about the Braves or the Yankees. We care about all of these things. And I'm not saying, believe me, I'm not saying give up sports and give up these things. But I'm asking us to examine our hearts. Where are our priorities? Where's our action? How do the things that, you are, that we are so obsessed with, so worried about, so concerned over, compare with the welfare, the spiritual welfare, the, the welfare of roughly 50,000 people in Greene County, Putnam County, and Morgan County? Will our heart reflect the heart of God? The heart of God that didn't, didn't say, think about this, God didn't say, okay, you know what? You're all welcome to heaven. I like you. You're good. I'll open the doors of heaven, and if you want to come, come. 
God didn't do that. First of all, we'd be unable to do that, right? We can't get to God. What did God do? He came to us. He sent Jesus Christ to leave heaven and go to earth. God is a sending God. God is a going God. And guess what? We're his church, and what are we called to do? If we're going to reflect the heart of God, we don't just open our doors and say, well, if you're out there, it's okay that you come in. We'll be nice to you. That does not align ourselves with the heart of God. God is a going God, and we're called to be a going church. That's what it means to be obedient. Will God's love and mercy shape your thinking? Will it mold and meld our hearts? Will it transform our lives? Will we as a church align ourselves with the heart of God? Will we exist for our non-members and care for and serve our community? Will we seek the welfare of the city in which God has sovereignly sent us and placed us? Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we thank you that you are a going God. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't be here now if you didn't send Jesus for us. We can't reach you. I think about what your word says, our very, our very best works, our very best acts, our best obedience. When we do our duty to our utmost, Isaiah said it's like filthy rags. And we think we can get to you. We are so dependent on your grace. Father, help us to understand your grace and offer your grace to a dying world, to broken people all around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, before you look up here, before you turn in your hymnals, I want to make an exciting announcement. We're about to launch something this morning that I'm pretty excited about and the session is pretty exciting about. I want us to think about something. This week we've all been affected. We've seen the devastating pictures from Hurricane Ian. Our hearts were moved by that devastation. I know it hit Evie and I personally because obviously we're from Florida. Evie's mother lives in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. I have a brother and mother and our son are all in Florida, so we spent a lot of time checking in on family and friends. We have people from our former church that their houses were flooded. They're starting over in many senses. And it's interesting, when we're broken like this, we long, we yearn to step in, we long and yearn to take action. As a matter of fact, we do that here at the church. That's why I'm so encouraged by things like Sheds of Hope and English as a Second Language. And I loved seeing this past week women from our women's ministry putting together flood buckets and hygiene kits that are already on their way to Florida. Our hearts are moved to bring healing to brokenness. In 1996, six families stood at a crossroad. They looked out and they saw a mission field here at Lake Oconee. They were moved to take action to the brokenness that they saw. They caught a vision of the heart of God they were moved by the spiritual brokenness of people who don't know Christ, and they were moved to take action. They saw God's love for this community, his heart for this community, and they stepped out in faith and allowed God to use them to birth Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. LOPC has always had a heart like this. 
LOPC has always wanted to reach out, wanted to go and make disciples of all nations. It's a major reason why I'm here. It's a major reason why I felt called, to, and Evie and I felt called to come here. It is time, though, for us to double down on this vision. Here's what I mean. Here we are in 2022, and we again stand at a crossroads. Lake Oconee is still a mission field. People here, young and old, need the love and compassion of Jesus. And God still has a heart for this community. God looks out over this community and says, should I not pity Lake Oconee, an area of 50,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and the cattle too? But this community is changing. We are launching today something that we call LOPC 2.0, celebrating our past and building our future together. LOPC 2.0 is all about being moved to action by the brokenness of our community, the brokenness of those who don't know Christ. They may look pretty happy. They may look together on the outside. You know, I quote Tim Keller all the time. Tim Keller had a line talking about what it means to be dead in your trespasses and sins. And he said, you can be bitten by a spider, a poisonous spider, and you die, and you look pretty dead. Or you could be mauled by a lion, skin and shrapnel, you know, everything all over, and you look ugly dead. But he said, pretty dead or ugly dead, you're still dead. The condition is the same. We live in a very nice community. This is a pretty community. We may look pretty happy and together on the outside, but friends, I want to be very blunt because I'm passionate about this vision. If you don't have Christ, you're without hope. And I want to ask a question. Are we as moved by this spiritual brokenness as we are by the physical brokenness that we see all around us with our eyes? LOPC 2.0 is about fulfilling God's call to us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. I was struck the other night at our Here's Life Africa presentation of John Parker telling us the story. He's a board member for Here's Life Africa, and he told us how at the age of 54 he didn't retire, but he resigned his job to pursue ministry specifically because he felt he wasn't taking seriously our Lord's Great Commission. And now he's on the board of Here's Life Africa, which uses the Jesus film to present the gospel to millions of people in East Central Africa. I may have my statistics wrong a little bit, but I think they mentioned 72 million Africans have seen the Jesus film with 32 million receiving Christ. So here we are at a crossroads. LOPC has always taken the Great Commission seriously, but our community is changing. It always has many retirees moving in, but now we are seeing explosive growth of young families. Do we see this as a mission field? Do we see this as a mandate to which we are called to obedience and faith? LOPC 2.0 is a call to obedience, faith, and action. 
The scriptures tell us that without vision, the people perish. I want you to picture what we could see in the next three to five years. I want you to imagine with me a church where in the next three to five years, we have infants and toddlers bustling in the nursery, kids in Sunday school classes and worship, a thriving youth ministry, young and old alike. This is about making the investments. Nobody is to be left out. This is for young and old alike, studying the scriptures together, doing life together, growing in grace together in deep community. A church of young and old alike, multi-generational, committed to evangelism and missions, experiencing renewal and taking the gospel to the local community and partnering with others to see the gospel go to the nations. This is doing everything we've always done. But I guess you could say we're putting the pedal to the metal and doubling down and saying, will we meet the need of the moment? How do we get there? What is it going to take to get there? I'm communicating this, but this is from your session. Your session has put together a plan where LOPC 2.0 seeks over and above our normal tithes and offerings for the Lord to bless us with $1.5 million to build a staff team that will work to equip us. We're all in this together. This is about building our future together, but we need a staff team that's going to equip us to take the gospel to the community. We've been blessed with beautiful facilities that like everything else in our lives, we're not the owners of, but we're stewards of. We don't need to replace, but we need to refresh our facilities with a view to updating some things in order to reach what is becoming a much more diverse community. Over the next six weeks, we're launching it today. We will conclude this with a commitment Sunday on Sunday, November 13th. We will be inviting every one of you to attend a small informational vision meeting where myself and some of the elders will be presenting the vision of LOPC 2.0 and asking us to consider what our part in this story might be. This is not about asking for money. I don't do that. I do cast vision, though. This is about asking all of us, Evie and myself, every session member, every single one of us to go before God and to seek him for what he's calling you to be in your participation in his mission to reach the community with the gospel. This is all about obedience and faith raising. We have been called by our sovereign God at this time and this place to go and make disciples of all nations, to take the Great Commission seriously, and to seek the welfare of the city to which he has called us. Think about it. I just said this a minute ago. What is the gospel all about? It is not about God opening his doors and saying, well, you're all invited. Just come up here to heaven and join me. The gospel is about God and the person of Jesus going, leaving heaven and coming and going to us, going to you. You wouldn't be here if God didn't go to you. And God came to you in the, in the form or in the person of somebody. It could have been your parents, your childhood, your upbringing. It could have been a person coming to you and sharing with you the good news of Jesus. God came to you through somebody else. That's how God works. He works through his church. Will we be a go church and go 
to the community. Let me close with this. I have been struck this week as just reading through the scriptures, having my own devotions, praying through all of this by the words of the psalmist expressing his attitude, his heart, his desire as he grows old. Psalm 71, 18. And this is the psalmist praying. He's calling out to God, saying, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Let's do that together. Let's make that our prayer together. My prayer, your session's prayer. This is what you'll be hearing over the next six weeks, is that God would awaken us, revive us, renew us to bring healing and renewal and peace to Lake Oconee and the world to his glory. I challenge you to be in prayer about that, to go before God with that. Let's close our service standing together. Think about this. Amy opened with the prelude, And Can It Be? Let's sing out, And Can It Be? That I should gain an interest in our Savior's love.
receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the amazing love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.